the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good evening and hello, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Welcome to the Arthur Idala Power Hour. And boy, is tonight a special show. As you know, I am your host, Arthur Idala, here in Midtown Manhattan in my law office. But tonight I'm very excited because we've had a lot of special guests. But uh, this guest stands out not only because of who he is and what he's meant, but what his father has meant to so many of us here in the tri-state area. We're going to devote the entire time to the former governor of the state of New York, Andrew Cuomo. At 10 p.m. on the evening of December the 31st, 2010, Andrew Cuomo placed his left hand on a Bible and in front of his beloved mother, Matilda, and his legendary father, Mario, swore to faithfully discharge the duties of the office of governor of the state of New York. From that winter night in the executive mansion to the summer of 2021, Andrew Cuomo expanded state Medicare. He increased the state's minimum wage. He signed the Women's Equality Act and the Marriage Equality Act. He instituted the strictest gun safety laws in the country. He legalized recreational marijuana. He oversaw construction of the Second Avenue subway and the Mario Cuomo Bridge, the reconstruction of the brand new and beautiful LaGuardia Airport. He was, without a doubt, one of the most effective governors in state history and at the same time turned out to be one of the most controversial. He is now the host of, as a matter of fact, a podcast, a video cast that I was lucky enough to be on last week. It's available, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. And so here he is sitting right across, across from me is the 56th governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who I have to say, for those of you who are only listening and not looking, uh, Governor, you look you look like you're in great shape. I mean, it's no secret about your age, but I'm I'm not going to tussle with you. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I am 25 years old, and I'm, I'm not afraid <laughs> to admit it. You, you're doing your push-ups, is that? I'm not- doing my push-ups, and uh, I actually had over the past few months, I've had some time to take care of myself in a more regular routine. Uh, so I am actually in better shape than I've been for a long time. So if you want to arm wrestle, push up, play rugby like you would do rugby, whatever you want, I'm ready to go. Well, I know you said you had some time, but I was able to speak to some people who you work with. There's no grass really growing under your feet. I mean, you you keep a pretty busy calendar. Yeah, well, I always have, you know, and it's it's hard to change uh, when you get to get to my stage. And I enjoy what I'm doing. So, so everyone asked me who knew you were coming on over the last couple of days, like, ask him how he's doing. You know, we saw two pictures of Andrew Cuomo, the one where that's, I don't know if they had a drone or something and you have a, a towel around uh, a blanket around you and it's your last days in office. And then there's the one of you fishing and you're all smiling or you're washing one of your cars. So which Andrew Cuomo are we, in right, are we with right now? Uh, look, I went through a very difficult time. I went through uh, what I consider a very unfair circumstance and situation. Uh, and Arthur, in truth, you know, I had strong feelings about it. Uh, I still have strong feelings about it. But uh, I am at peace or as at peace as I can be. I understand it. 
I know what politics is all about. I know how ruthless politics can be. So I get it. Uh, I've, I've lived it all my life. I get it. And I feel good. I've spent time with my family that I never had before. Uh, spent is that, time the, is with that my the biggest years. sacrifice of politics, is, is stepping aside from your family? Well, the, it's, it's funny because my father was in politics, as you know. And uh, I saw the sacrifice as the child of a person in politics. And my father was never there for the ball games. He was never there on the weekends. Uh, he was working all the time. That's the nature of the beast in politics. And this is even before he was governor, right? He was lieutenant governor. He was secretary of state. But he was always 24-7. So I knew, I knew the burden. Uh, I, did not, I did not do it the same way with my kids. I was very conscious of what I had gone through. And I, you had gone through as a child. As a child. So I made sure I, they came first. And I spent real time with them. Uh, literally, I was living in Westchester. I would drive up to Albany in the morning, and I would drive back down every night I had the kids just to be with them. Uh, on the weekends that I was with them, I was with them 24-7. I didn't leave the house. Well, okay, Governor, that... That does not seem like it's feasible. You were the governor. You were the attorney general. You're the governor. I mean, I know you had stuff to do on Saturdays no, and Sundays. There was some- Arthur. They came first. Now, because I felt the pain of, frankly, a child uh, of a politician who didn't who didn't get that time. Uh, now, when I become governor, they're basically out of the house. They start to get older, you know. But when I was attorney general, uh, no. I made the time. They were the priority, and I feel good about that. And past year or so, I've had a chance to really spend time with them because and now it's the reverse, right? Now they're at a stage. Well, you're chasing them. Yeah, right? I'm chasing them. <laughs> to find some time. I get it. I'm not there yet. So, look, you forever will hold a place in my heart and millions of people, and not just New Yorkers, for what you did in March and April, and then and then a little bit into May. By the middle of May, we kind of figured out like we, the world wasn't going to disappear. But those last two weeks of March and that whole month of, May, of April, not to make light of it, but not since much watch TV and, and you know on, with Seinfeld and Friends, was it so obligatory to turn on that TV? to watch basically the Governor Cuomo show, and it was national. It wasn't just, you know, New Yorkers. Give me a little insight, first of all. When did you realize, like, okay, this is a problem? I, 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 the parade here was canceled for St. Patty's Day, so I'm giving you a little frame of reference, March 17th. When did you realize, like, we have a major tsunami heading our way? You know, Arthur, the most frightening thing about COVID was how little was known. You know, you live life with the assumption that there's a they somewhere who know what they're talking about, right? That there's health officials somewhere in one of those, in the alphabet soup, whether it's the WHO or HHS or CDC, but there are experts. When it came to COVID, there were no experts. So I would get, and I was talking to the top people internationally. I mean, forget the Trump White House. Uh, Nobody knew. And you'd get different stories. The president was putting out a different story every day. It's going to be gone. It's going to be It's a flu. But even the top health officials were just saying, we don't know. So 
One day, uh, you thought it was going to be okay. The next day, uh, it was 180 degrees different. But uh, in March, we sort of turned the corner, and then you started to understand what happened, which was COVID was here much, much earlier than anybody knew. Everybody was looking at California and China. It wasn't California and China. It had gone from China to Europe, and the flights from Europe were coming here. And they were landing at uh, JFK and landing at Newark. And that's where COVID came from. And then it exploded in the density of New York. And it had been coming for months before we knew. You had a lot more cases diagnosed as pneumonia. Uh, it wasn't pneumonia. This is January and February. Yes, it was COVID. <clears throat> it was COVID. So were you alone? Because I remember there were times that you, during your briefings, you were talking about being alone with the dog, and you were encouraging all of us to be alone. Were you alone? Oh, no, I was alone. Well, we had a, uh, I had my kids uh, who actually came up, and uh, sheltered in place was the expression then, right? We designed a whole new language back then, shelter in place. Uh, so they came up. They were with me. And thank God they were with me because that was my only connection to reality. Uh, and uh, but yes, basically, you know, I had a few staff members who were there on site and who were very careful because uh, last thing that could happen was, you know, I get sick and then I'm down for a period of time. What was the hardest decision you had to make during that period of time? Was it to shut down the city? Was it to shut down government? Was it to uh, enforce these curfews? Arthur, every decision was hard. First of all, because it was a negative decision. It was an infringement on people's rights. It was an infringement on people's lives, on their businesses, shutting down businesses. I mean, if I had said to you, uh, there's going to be a point in time where government is going to say, your business must be closed. Uh, you need to wear a mask if you're going to go into public uh, transportation. I, I don't think there was a time when government has been that assertive. You know, you'd have to go back to a, a world war, frankly. And I don't even know that in a world war the government uh, had those kinds of mandates. Who decided what was essential and what wasn't? Was that a federal thing or was that a but, Governor Cuomo well, thing? That was a Governor Cuomo thing. There, <laughs> so, was, there was no rule book. Uh, on what behalf, on behalf of many New Yorkers, I you thank you because somehow or another liquor stores were deemed essential and uh, they remained <laughs> open. I don't know how you came to that decision. but Well, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> we actually argued about that because I was going down the list and they had suggested liquor stores. And I said, on what theory are liquor stores an essential business compared to everything else? Uh, and one of my colleagues said, if everybody's going to have to stay home, you better make sure the liquor stores are open. So I want to play um, uh, uh, just a little clip from something that I, I heard today. We won't play the whole thing, but... Bring down that anxiety, bring down that fear, bring down that paranoia, and we're going to get through it because we are New York. And because we've dealt with a lot of things, and because we are smart, you have to be smart to make it in New York. And we are resourceful. We are showing how resourceful we are. So that just gives you a little snippet. It's a beautiful video. It was from April 9th of 2020. And um, 
Andrew Cuomo, was there any time when you were scared for you, your daughters, your mother? Every day. <clears throat> I mean, your Every... mother was, was clearly the most vulnerable because of her age. I, I was scared for everyone. I was scared for everyone. Arthur, nobody knew what this was. Nobody knew when it stopped. Nobody knew when the infection rate stopped going up. Nobody knew when there was going to be a vaccine, if there was going to be a vaccine, if the vaccine was going to work. And all you saw day after day after day was the death count going up and up and up and up. Uh, Flatten the curve. Yes, and every morning was, when is it going to stop? When is it going to stop? Is it going to stop? Is it going to stop? I mean, this was like a, a science fiction movie, right? Uh, it's an invisible it was. Well, the one with the... Contagion. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it also reminded me of a, a movie with Will Smith called Legend. Right. Where the streets were. Well, yes. Governor, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to admit to a little bit of a violation here. We were here. We were got not here for two weeks, and then we were here. I was at this desk. I looked out that window, and there was no one here. Everything was closed. We had to bring our own food and all of that. Um, look, what I want to say is this. At that particular point, you were... You were the most listened to and respected person around right there and then. No one was listening to the White House. No one, you know, a few people listened to City Hall. Everybody was listening to you. And then as time went by, you know, people start second guessing. And as, uh, as Frank Sinatra sings in my way, regrets I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Now that you've had almost three years to reflect upon it, Knowing what you know now, knowing what we've seen, how this disease acts and reacts, if you were doing it all over again today, what would you have done differently? If I could play the game again uh, Monday morning? Absolutely. With, 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 three, with three years of hindsight yeah. and medical research, et cetera, et cetera. First, it was here much earlier than anyone knew. Uh, it was coming into nursing homes by the staff and by the visitors. We would have stopped the visitors earlier. We would have had the staff tested earlier. We would have had testing at airports with flights coming in from Europe. There would have been a travel ban earlier. We would have bought all this equipment earlier. So Trump caught a lot of heat for his original travel ban, but he was right. He was right. He was late. He was late. He was late. He even when he did it, he was, in, you know, he did not go over well yeah. initially. But look, none of this was going to go over well. There's not a decision I made that went over well. There was not a decision I made that people said, great, well, that's great. From my point of view, it seemed though your decisions were respected. I don't really remember any protests saying, hey, Cuomo said, you know, you can't go on the street. We're going on the street. Am I wrong about that? Well, that, that was the challenge. That was the challenge. Uh, government is going to declare mandates never done before and has no ability to enforce well, then why are people going to follow? They would only follow Arthur if they believed that it was right. So what the briefings were about, that was in the back of my mind. I'm going to be making these restrictions. There were no police to enforce them. You couldn't possibly do it. People have to be willing to do it on a voluntary basis. And these are going to be the most dramatic changes they've ever done. Why would they do it? Because they have to believe it. And what you're making me think of is trying a case. It was a case. Because you're, you're presenting evidence it was a case. to convince them beyond exactly. a reasonable doubt that you have to stay home exactly. and this is why. Exactly. And I separated, the difference why it was different than a case in a courtroom, 
is because you get paid to represent one side in the courtroom. I would say, here are the facts. These are not Democratic facts. They're not Republican facts. They're just real, actual facts. Trust me that these are truthful facts without bias. Here are the facts. And then I would say, stage two, here's my opinion based on those facts. Now, you can disagree with my opinion, but I want you to know how I got there, and these are facts. People believed the facts were the facts, which was a beautiful thing when you think about it. It's not that I was a Democrat or I was this or I was New Yorker and the Republican. No, you were just the leader. Yes, and they, they believed <laughs> the facts. And think about how incredible that is, where we are now with all the cynicism and politics. They accepted those as facts. And then my, my policy was connected back to the facts. And for the most part, it was almost inarguable once you heard the facts. There were some decisions, you know, that you could agree on the same set of facts and then question. But that's what I was doing. It was. I'm a lawyer first. I, right? Yeah, you were the chief lawyer of the state when you were yeah. the attorney general. So. All of this stuff about people saying you manipulated the numbers and you manipulated people in the nursing homes. What does Andrew Cuomo say about that three years hindsight? It, what happens at one point is politics gets injected. And that poisoned and changed the situation. Trump was but that was later on in the... No. Trump is running for president. At the time. All during this time. Think about that. He's running for re-election. By the way, he was in good shape before COVID started. COVID then interrupts in his mind uh, his beautiful performance as president. And he is trying to figure out how to handle COVID in this political environment. Uh, He was wrong on COVID early on. And then he reached the point where it was such a big problem. So many people were dying. Someone had to be blamed. And what he did was he made it a political issue. And he literally said, you know why people are dying? The governors in the Democratic states are mishandling it. And states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and New Jersey, we still had most of the deaths in the Northeast at that time. Uh, And Cuomo, and I was his favorite uh, favorite target. target for because every day we were doing battle uh, and he injected the politics and if it wasn't for government people wouldn't have died in nursing homes which was so mean in some ways because to tell someone who lost a loved one they didn't have to die they died because government had a, made a mistake government had a bad policy uh, was it a bad policy? Ultimately, no. again, three years later, we're talking about 34 months after that decision was made. Because I remember, Governor, you giving one of those conferences in early April, and you said, I am sure we're making mistakes. But we're doing, with the information we have, we're doing the best that we can. So, I mean, I make mistakes every time I try a case. Every case I handle is, I'm, I mess something up. I'm a human. What was the me- what were the mess-ups that <clears throat> someone suggested and you implemented in that period of time. What is the regret that you have that today, because you can't really regret not closing things down earlier because you didn't really, I don't, I don't know if that's, that was even in your control to stop 
international travel. <clears throat> but what was in your control that you're like, son of a gun, if I could do it again, this is what I would do? No, Arthur, it was in my control to do it earlier. And we didn't because we didn't know. So what could you have done? Just stop people coming into JFK and... You know, uh, yes. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> you know, a state has emergency powers, which I was executing. Uh, but yes, we could have said, you're not entering this state without a, uh, unless you're tested. Uh, or you're not entering this state now, period. I could have said that. But we found out too late. We found out too late is so, the problem. In April, May, you're a hero. I mean, that's basically by all accounts. And uh, I know some of the listeners, well, oh, he wasn't this. Well, I don't care. I, I was one of those people who was scared. I was one of those people who were working through it. He was the person you listened to, and he was the one whose counsel you took, and he was a hero. And did you hear the calls that many of us heard that at that point you should be running for president of the United States in at least the Democratic primary? Yes. And tell me what that was like, and was that ever a consideration, or was that ever in the, the realm of possibilities, or was it way too late to start raising a billion dollars that you have to raise to run for Arthur, president? It, 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 that was the last thing on my mind, and that meant absolutely nothing, because I was, I was doing the best I could just to get through the day. I was doing the best I could just to get out of the bed the next Were morning. You no, I wasn't sleeping because you do the briefings in the morning. I had to get ready for the briefings in the morning, then do my job all day. And then at night is when the data used to start to come in from the day from what happened that day. And the data was everything because for me, I just was dying to see the curve stop with the numbers flatten. So that would be coming in 11 o'clock, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then you couldn't sleep anyway after you got that so information. Governor Cuomo, I can hear my friends and, and colleagues who listen to this show regularly say, how could you let Andrew Cuomo off the hook when he says he the last thing on his mind was becoming president of the United States when so many people have obviously spoken about your father having become president of the United States and you becoming president of the United States. Even under those circumstances, we all have egos, and when there's a public cry that this guy should lead the free world, it's hard to say it was the last thing on my mind. Well, first of all, it was moot anyway, right? Okay. Joe Biden was running. Joe Biden, uh, I had a long-term relationship with. I had spoken to Joe Biden about the race early on and who was going to run because it was rumored before Biden got in that I might run. Uh, so Biden was running, and uh, I was not going to challenge Biden. How close a relation did you have with him over the years? Uh, look, in politics, <laughs> you know, they say if you want a it's friend, yeah, in politics, they get say if dog, you want right? a friend, get a dog. You They're right. A, you actually have a dog. I got a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and it's sad in some ways. In the old days, that was not as true. Uh, but now so many politicians just run so scared, you know. Um, but uh, he, he is a friend uh, and uh, we've done, we did a lot together. He comes to LaGuardia Airport 
and lands at LaGuardia Airport because, you know, he could say things this that would get him into this trouble. This is when he's vice president. Okay, when he's vice president. He lands at LaGuardia Airport, and he says, uh, if you were blindfolded and you li- landed in LaGuardia, you would think you landed in the third world airport. Everybody picked up on is picked up, and they're beating the stuffing out of them. Uh, and he calls me up, and he says, can you help me out? I didn't mean anything. I said, well, you didn't mean You meant what you said. <laughs> Uh, and he wasn't far off. <laughs> and he wasn't way. far <laughs> off. And that's what I said to him. I said, you know what? Uh, you were right. It, the way you said it was in poor taste. But the point is right, and that's what I'm going to say. And uh, I went out, and I said, he, the vice president is right. Uh, the way he said it may not have been the best, but he was right. And we're going to change that. We're going to rebuild LaGuardia Airport. I said to the vice president, and you're going to help us. <laughs> and you're going to pay for it. Okay. And we did. And, that's, and that I actually used as the impetus to say to the people of the state, let's get behind this and do this. So you're talking about President Biden, current President Biden, in his capacity as the vice president. And we're talking about the calls for you in April, May, June of, of 20. Uh, 2020 to be the president of the United States, and you weren't going to do that for many reasons. I assume one of them had to do with President Biden's involvement. And then in a relatively very short time later, on August the 3rd, 2021, you have the sitting president of the United States, Joe Biden, calling for your resignation. What was that like when you heard that the president inserted himself into your situation here and made this statement? You know, he could have stayed neutral. And he says, oh, no, I think it's time for Governor Cuomo to resign. What's that like? Is that like getting a, stabbed in the belly with a, with a sharp knife? It is. Especially when you're, you know, you know you didn't do anything wrong and it's a hit job. Well, it's even well, worse. I'll, I'll, it's I'll even worse. He says, he says, based on the press conference of James. Letitia James, the attorney he general. He says uh, the governor should resign, but I haven't read the report. I mean, how do you say that well, as president of the United didn't States? Didn't they sign Obamacare and said they'll, they'll read it later? <laughs> right. But I was the senior governor in the country. Uh, Is that true? Yes. I didn't know that. The, how do you say you should resign, but I haven't read the Well, you report. tell me. How does he say? Why did he say? Because, especially on the Democratic side, there is such energy behind the politics on the quote-unquote Me Too movement. And by the way, This should be. This should be, Arthur. I passed the strongest sexual harassment law in the country, and I'm proud of it. Three girls, uh, I'm proud of it. What I did for my daughter is what I did for your daughter. Uh, So, yes, there should be. And a lot of abuses went on for a very long period of time. And uh, we need to make changes and acknowledge it. And we are, and that is a good thing. But... You can also weaponize and politicize what is a good thing. And that's what has happened in a lot of cases, where now you use the allegation to basically condemn someone. And, you know, we're lawyers. It trumps the legal system. Somebody makes an allegation. Uh, the, the political response is, I believe all women so yeah, well, that's credibility. We're, we're going to talk about that yeah. in a second. Okay, as lawyers, uh, yeah. you know, that's an insane thing yeah. for a sitting prosecutor to yeah. say. And then for Democrats. That's what Tish James said. And then for Democrats, 
everybody says one after the other. Oh, if that allegations are loving and what the what the uh, James did uh, artfully, which he manipulated the press. Eleven cases. There were no eleven cases, but eleven cases is such a big number that oh well, uh, eleven something's got to be right. Something's, something's got to be. Stick. That's exactly right. And just for the listeners, ultimately. Albany, Westchester, Nassau, Oswego, and Manhattan, all those separate district attorney's offices have nothing to do with each other. They're not in cahoots. They don't barely even know each other. The Oswego DA and the Nassau DA, um, they all looked into what Letitia James said were possible criminal violations against Governor Andrew Cuomo, and zero, zero, zero charges were ever pursued. It's just got to be emotionally even though it's it's whatever it was a year, a year apart, to go from so high to resigning, I, that must rip you up inside. I mean, just any human being, it would just rip you up inside. I mean, look, you, I know you lost your father, but that's part of the natural order. You know, look, you went through a divorce. I've been through that. I mean, that's horrible, and it's the, it was the worst time of my life. But you could survive. But to go from being People screaming, Andrew Cuomo should be the leader of the free world to you had to make that speech that we all sat here and watched riveted. I was praying at the end, don't say you're going to resign. Don't say you're going to resign. What's that like emotionally for a human being and, a, and, and, a, and an Italian-American passionate, emotional human being to go through? Yeah. Uh, look, it was, it was... Did you cry? Uh, did I cry? Because a lot I of people not... cried. Yeah, I did not cry because at that point... It was, I was, quote, unquote, resigned to it in a lot of ways. Uh, what bothered me most was it was unfair, you know. The political system uh, and fairness are not necessarily synonymous. But this was so unfair and so predictable and so orchestrated and so self-serving and so obvious, Arthur, you know. Well, let's just let me break that down. So the person who's going after you uh, really was Letitia James, who's currently the attorney general. She was the attorney general um, who had already announced that she wanted to run for governor um, and already made the statement somewhere along the line saying, I believe all women. Now, just let me put on my legal hat. Like if let's just say a prosecutor said, I believe all bald people. Yeah, well, I believe anyone who has a, a, a disability and they're in a wheelchair. That, that's just not how the system works. It's a case by case, person by person, fact by fact basis. To have a, the, the chief law enforcement officer of the state of New York, the attorney general, make a statement, number one, that she's going to believe all women. So every woman who comes before her who claims something... It could be a sex crime. It could be a, a, a larceny. It could be a robbery. I, I believe that they have to be telling the truth. That's outrageous. And then have that same individual uh, uh, saying, oh, by the way, the person who I'm looking to prosecute, I, I might want their job from a lawyer's point of view. That is the, the textbook uh, conflict of interest. But you were still the governor. You still had a lot of power. Did you, and then eventually a, a special prosecutor gets appointed. Did you have any input into all of that, that whole process? The the legislature insisted that it was Tish James. Uh, I said she has a conflict of interest. Uh, I said from a, as a lawyer, there was a clear conflict of interest. Plus there was the political motivation. Uh, the legislature insisted on Tish James. 
Why? Because w- the legislature is basically controlled by what I call the extreme left. Uh, and I had been at odds with the extreme left for many, many years. The extreme left in the New York State Legislature has been increasing in power, and uh, they were the driving force, the legislature uh, insisting on using Tish James. Tish James was supposed to point, appoint an independent prosecutor. <laughs> That's what the referrals said. Yeah, it didn't turn out to be so independent, yeah. but I'll let you That's right. fill that So that didn't in. happen. So. Well, tell, tell the listeners why the why you, we don't believe that it was or you don't believe it was an independent. Because by definition, it wasn't independent. I had a lot of negative history with uh, a person who that she appointed, which was publicly known. So th- that independence wasn't independent. But look, it was all politics. I get it. So I'm when you say boy. it was politics, let's face it. Tish James wanted you gone. Yes. The The legislature wanted you gone. Is yes. that a fair statement, at least that portion yes. of the legislation? Yes. How about Washington, D.C.? Uh, at that point, you have a Democratic president who's on in years. Uh, you know, you you had a lot of clout. As you just informed me, you're the senior governor, and governors often go on to be presidents. You think Washington was, uh, you know, upset at all? They shed any tears that Andrew Cuomo uh, was going to be neutralized? You know, I... <laughs> Uh, if I start speculating, Arthur, I will go right back to, to what is not a healthy state for me. But suffice it to say, uh, yeah, all of the above are thoughts that I had. Uh, so that was hard to take. But then you take a step back. And, well, it wasn't fair. You know what? Nobody ever said life was going to well, be fair. I, I, I could tell you my father told me that maybe I was 10. Yes. And I was like, it's not fair. You know what? Life's not fair. Did Life Uncle is Mario not, ever say that's that to right. you? That is exactly right. Life is not fair. You know, and uh, you, can be, you can be prejudiced against. You can be discriminated against. You can grow up in a household that doesn't have the economic resources to allow you to achieve your potential. Uh, there's a lot of unfairness. And in the book of life, Arthur, I have been so blessed I have been so blessed. You want to put the pluses and minuses down on a piece of paper. I am so far now, ahead. I understand that, and I understand you're speaking very rationally and logically and clearly. But how hard was it to get to where you are right now from August of 2021? Because that I'm sure that's not what you were thinking on Labor Day of 2021. No, no. and look, let's be totally honest. It's not that you are ever, or, or, or that I can't say that I am, uh, resolute in my philosophical uh, uh, opinion. And uh, it is still sad to me in some ways. You know, I drive around uh, or move around and I see all the great work that we did. You know, uh, Moynihan train station, Second Avenue subway, uh, go through the tunnels and we redid all the tunnels and the sandy stuff that you the yeah, post sandy the work, make sure yeah. the tunnels can get sealed yes there's a, yes that's what that's actually when i think of you because you know my neighborhood got nailed in, in sandy and so every and i go through the tunnel all the time and there's those big now doors i guess yes. that it would, would seal the tunnel up so in the last couple of months let's talk about your your governorship if if and we'll do the pros and the cons, but let's do the pros first. I'd like to think, you know, I'm a, I'm a Catholic. My my 
second cousin, his father, Anthony Sorgi, who I'm very close with. I like to think that uh, up there in the sky, there's, you know, Nelson Rockefeller, Hugh Carey, Mario Cuomo. I don't know. What would your father drink? Would he just have red wine? Red wine. Okay. Red wine. Have a little or red vodka. Wine. He would drink vodka. All right. We're going to stew the vodka. Let's go with the yeah. red wine. Right. Did he want the, with the one with the straw on the bottle, the Chianti? <laughs> right? Okay. Right, with the straw. right. That's what my grandfather used to drink. And... Uh, what do you think your father's looking down now after your 12 years, your three terms, and he's telling those guys, you know what, my son Andrew did that. I'm, I'm really proud that he did that. Which one of those things that you're rattling off or I rattled off in the intro you think he's fired up about? Well, I'll tell you something that uh, was important between my father and myself. First, my father loses in 1994, and it crushed him. He was a competitive guy. He did not think he was going to lose. He didn't find out until that night, uh, and everybody was sure he was going to win. Did you run until that campaign that night. or no? No. I had been in Washington. Oh, right, 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 right. You and, were in the Clinton administration. Yes. And that gave me my own guilt because he only lost by a couple of points. And I believe if I had come up from Washington and run the campaign, it might have been different. But I was in Washington. I was in the Clinton administration. I was married. Um, I was starting a family. So he loses in 94. He takes it very badly. He's an athlete. He's a competitor. And he was almost traumatized by the loss. He had his speech all written, uh, his acceptance speech, his victory speech. And I had to go in and tell him, oh boy, we need a different speech. I never said to him, we lost. I just walked in Where after the polls closed. We were at the Sheridan Hotel. He was in the bedroom, uh, just all dressed, had the speech, was reading the speech to be familiar with the speech because he was going to go down and deliver it in five minutes. Uh, I went into the bedroom. He thinks I'm going to say, go down. down. I could not say the words, uh, you lost. But he knew something was wrong when he saw me. So all I said was, we're going to need a different speech. Wow. And so he loses in 94. First, when I win, it is his... Attorney general or... Well, it started with attorney general. But when I won governor, and he was still uh, vital and mentally vital, he really saw it as uh, a rebirth for him. He used to say, half-kiddingly, half-kiddingly, you know, they vote for the last name, not the first name, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They voted for Cuomo, you know. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, Mario Cuomo, they voted for Cuomo. And I brought him out on the stage that night, and he had been in a wheelchair backstage. And he got up out of the wheelchair. We walked out onto the stage. Your first time he was in a wheelchair that early on? Yeah. And we walk out on the stage, and... I lift his arm up, and the crowd is cheering. Forget about it. And Arthur, I can feel his grip getting stronger and tighter, and his arm is, he's hearing the crowd, and it's just energizing him, and it's going through, and his face starts to light up. That was a, I'm so glad that I did that with him. And then when he lost in 94, the press, which can always be miserable, uh, wrote his political eulogy. His political eulogy was basically, 
Mario Cuomo gave a great speech. In 1984 at the convention. Is that one? Yes. Okay. But uh, didn't really get anything done uh, for the state. There's no lasting legacy. And that hurt him. First of all, it was crap. Pardon the expression. But that really bothered him. Um, great speech maker, but no real substance. Uh, a substantive accomplishment. He was a great lawyer. Yes. <laughs> And I said to my father, I said, look, I get it. When I am finished, I promise you that uh, thanks to the Cuomos, nobody will have done more for this state. And I do believe, Arthur, because I've watched it all my life, governors come and go, mayors come and go. What did you accomplish that remains, right? You run, you deal with all this so garbage. So what do you think Governor, Cuomo, Governor Mario Cuomo is saying to his colleagues he upstairs he saying, said, this is what Andrew did? In his order, he would have said, first, New York was the first state in the nation to pass marriage equality, which created literally a new civil right. Uh, and, and just tell the listeners what... Marriage, the essence of that. Yeah, it allowed uh, people to marry, uh, LGBTQ people to marry. And by the way, I argued to pass it as a legal matter. I said it was discriminatory not to allow an LGBT person to was marry. It the, but Connecticut had it, right? I mean, we, where other states had We some were the form first big state. Vermont okay. had it. We okay. were the first big All state. Right. And that changed the dialogue in the nation. Okay. Because when New York does something, then we it resonates. That's, right. That's right. So we did it, and then the question went to everyone. It actually went to Vice President Biden. Would you sign the bill that Governor Cuomo paid? Yes. The question then went to Obama. Would you pay? And now the whole dialogue changed. My his, thought, his thoughts evolved, President Obama. When he was candidate Obama, he said he was against it. And then well, I believe, yeah, I believe New York passing it actually changed the the numbers uh, on the issue and changed the assumption on the issue. If New York could do it, how can you be against it? So I think he would go to that first. Highest minimum wage, uh, first to $15. $9 to $15. You change people's huge. lives. You put huge. more food on the table. Free college for middle class students at state schools, uh, which you know, is was, was my father, right? Uh, free tuition in the state school. Uh, he would look at those best gun safety law in the United States of America, which was one of the hardest things to pass that I ever did. Uh, but I believe it actually saved the Why lives. would that be hard? I would think with a left-leaning legislature, they'd, be, they'd want to take guns out of everyone's hands. Because remember, for many years, well, the, the I had a Republican Senate. Yes, I stand I had a Republican Senate. Senator Martin Golden. Yes. <laughs> and look, we have an assault weapon ban, 10 bullets. The federal government still hasn't done anything. So now let's flip the coin. Let's flip the switch. Your, your, your father's on the second glass of red wine, and he's saying, you know, that bail reform law that Andrew signed, you know, I don't know. Or is it something else that he would question? Bail reform, no. Well, first, in, on the, uh, those were legislative accomplishments. He would then uh, fancy 
the physical accomplishments. Well, obviously, the one that we're going to talk about is yeah, because <laughs> the they, bridge named after the governor. Because they will never go away, and those, they were long overdue. What about the schmucks who talked about taking your father's name off the bridge? Oh, well, it's look. I could call them schmucks. You don't yeah. have to call them anything. The, like, they talked about these projects for years. Moynihan train station, so, so you don't have to go into Penn. Moynihan train station is beautiful. I mean, it's remarkable. They talked about it for 30 years. So today or tomorrow, the Long Island Railroad is going to Grand Central. Yes. Second track, east side access, <laughs> new track on the Long Island Railroad. Uh Every airport upstate renovated. Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, uh, LaGuardia, JFK, everything, everything. It's a different physical place, and that's there forever, forever. Uh, so that is special. The, let's talk about what's not special. Uh, on, Again, let's go back to Sinatra. Regrets have had a few. We spoke about the ones specifically during covid now let's talk about the ones during your, your three terms as governor. You, you know, in retrospect, and now, or now I've seen how it plays out. I should have tweaked it this way or tweaked it that way or not done it all. Yeah, what you're talking about is criminal justice and bail reform. Any, no, now, I'm not, <clears throat> that's one of them, but you can talk about anything you want. All right, want. but that's topical. The, uh, the system had to be reformed. Uh, Khalif Browder, a kid with a backpack, gets sent to Rikers winds up killing himself, the system had to be reformed. Uh, and when you go to Rikers, people have to understand how uh, terrible a place that is uh, and how difficult that is and how biased the system was. So bail reform, right idea. Passing it, very, very hard, but we pass it. Now, it, Passing, renovating a system like that is an iterative process, right? Uh, education, health care, all these big systems. You make a change this year, and then you study it, and you watch, and you come back the next year, and you make another change, and you come back next year. And literally, we so are constantly... keep tweaking. Yes, literally, we are constantly tweaking because you're constantly learning, and times change. Uh, so, yes, on bail reform, uh, I think judges need discretion on dangerousness. Uh, the legislature was worried that it would become a catch-all. Well, you can put uh, guidelines and advisory opinions on what that means so a judge, you know, can't yeah, just... Governor, I know you know this as the former attorney general and as a lawyer, but so many people, I just scratch, I laugh. Because so many people, people in this radio world and TV world, they all come after, they all say, oh, bail reform took dangerousness off the table. Dangerousness was never something a judge could consider. It was just risk of flight. Yes. Didn't matter if you were going to, if you had killed 100 people, it was, are you going to come back to court? But everyone's, oh, they took dangerousness off the table. That's not true. Dangerousness was never a factor. It is in federal court, but it is not in state court. So, Let's look at, you know, the crime has gone up considerably. And there was a piece of that is COVID, but a piece of that was it was already starting in 2019. Again, in retrospect, what could have been done differently? Well, first of all. And I'll give you the luxury of saying and what could be done now. Yeah, on the numbers, it's not really clear. Uh, you know, you have a great debate on the numbers. What drove uh, the crime. bill reform have anything to do with crime growing up? 
uh, and you can argue that back and forth. But uh, forget the reality for a second. The perception is Correct. crime has gone up. And the reason that's a problem is? Well, the crime has gone up. Yes. I mean, I'm here with the statistics from the NYPD. Yes. Crime yes. has gone up. Yes. It's not. Here's the trick question I ask everyone, and they always get it wrong. When, statistically speaking, when was New York City safer? During uh, Rudy Giuliani's last year in office or during Bill de Blasio's last year in office? It's not even close. It was so much safer during de Blasio's last year in office than in Giuliani's. Robberies, rapes, murder, every yes. every category. So, But you're correct. It's a perception issue. It is a perception issue. So what are we going to do? What should we have done and what should we yeah, do now? But the reason it's a, a perception issue uh, now that's a real problem, people are leaving. People are leaving. Absolutely. And COVID changed the rules of the game. You, they don't have to be in this office sitting in Manhattan. Unless you work for Idala. Unless you work cabins. for Idala, because he's, <laughs> he's a. Then, then you sit in the. I'm a Mario Cuomo. Idala <laughs> yeah, kind of guy. You want to get paid? You're he's be in the old school show up, <laughs> exactly. or you don't get the check. But remote work changed the game. You don't have to sit on a train. You don't have to commute. You can work from home. And then, by the way, if I can work from home, why don't I work from home? That's in, in a North, warm environment. Right, in North Carolina, or where taxes are a lot where less. Where taxes are a lot less. So that, post-COVID, this state now has real challenges. So you put crime, quality of life, homelessness, uh, taxes, you put all those things together. You have a problem. So it's not just the perception of crime. It's, it's the perception of crime in the context. It's also that the Democrats don't want to talk about crime as a problem which it, it totally stymies me. It's the extreme left saying to the Democrats. But now you're talking about Albany Democrats because that's all Eric Adams talks about, and he's the Democrat. You are right. <laughs> you are right. Uh, the mayor is an exception. Uh, but the legislature, uh, the statewide races, they couldn't even talk about crime. You had the Republican, Lee Zeldin, running around talking about crime, and the Democrats saying he's making it up. There is no issue. And the people of New York said, what do you mean he's making it up? I believe it. I did on one of my podcasts. I interviewed people on the street. Every person said the issue was crime. Uh, so the Democrats. Joe Hines' logo when he ran in 94 for attorney general was, if we don't fight crime, the other fights don't matter. That's right. That's and, right. Great line. Okay, so let me let me tell you, because uh, I could hear, I have a, I'm very lucky, some of my Closest friends are from the Brooklyn DA's office, and they're very smart. And they listen to this show just so they can give me a hard time. So what they're going to say is, Arthur, I can hear them. <laughs> Arthur, Andrew Cuomo was the governor for 12 years. Kathy Hochul's only been there for barely 12 months. So aren't all of these problems really Cuomo's problems that she's just inheriting now over the last 16 months, and she's trying to, she's trying to juggle them? No, these are post-COVID problems. COVID was a game changer, and post-COVID was a game changer. Look, COVID. The crime, the, the crime issue, the bail issue. You're saying that's all. A, that's a because in 19, before COVID hit, the numbers are going up. Yeah, it is. Well, look, under De Blasio. Well, the lowest year was 17 and 18. De Blasio was still okay. Yeah, but you felt it coming during De Blasio. De Blasio, I don't believe, ever paid enough attention to the police, the NYPD, and crime. Uh, I was having arguments with the Blasio back then. I wanted more police right, on the subway. What was up with you guys? I mean, you worked together years ago, right? I mean, you were friendly. 
And like the moment the guy got elected, you basically took his head off. No. <laughs> kind of. We, we, we were friends. And then... Uh, he ran on universal pre-K, and that was his whole platform to become mayor. And before he became mayor, you passed it to Albany and took all the <laughs> the air out of his balloon. Uh, yeah. Let's... Let's. I don't want to go through uh, recount history, but I don't want history misstated. All right, you can state it the right way. The uh, Mayor de Blasio said universal pre-K and a millionaire's tax to pay for universal pre-K. Which Uh, would have hurt you tremendously. I said to him, uh, well, there was no way. I had a Republican Senate. There was no way they were going to pass a millionaire's tax targeted just to millionaires. I understand the the public and uh, why it polled well. Should we tax the millionaires? Of course. I'm not a millionaire. I wouldn't have to pay it. They're millionaires. Let them pay the tax. But there's no way I could have ever get it uh, get it through the New York State Legislature through the Republican Senate. I said to Bill De Blasio, I will give you the money for universal pre-K in New York City. Uh, so you don't worry about the millionaires' tax. I will give you the money. But he still argued for the millionaire's tax. But we took two different, uh, we had two different constituencies, and uh, we took two different political theories and schools of thought. Uh, Eric Adams, would you tell him, I know you have a good relationship with him, it's, I know you've gone out for meals with him. Is it better or worse? And you could reflect on your experience and your father's experience because he had some interesting relationships with the mayors of the city of New York. Is it better for the citizens when the mayor and the governor get along? Or is it better when there's a degree of tension? You know, Joe Hines, when he ran the Brooklyn DA's office, he kind of kept two factions. It was the trial bureau, the homicide bureau. And he kind of kept them at odds because he think, he thought that garnered some, some competition and made people strive for their best. So... What does Governor Cuomo say about the mayor and the governors of, of New York? A healthy tension is best. Okay. Look, you just assume they're both lawyers. You're representing Which, New- are they now both lawyers? I know Adams is not. Is no. Governor Hochul a lawyer? No. Okay. Your New York City mayor, your job is advocate for New York City. New York State says, I'm going to give you $10. You say, it's not enough. I need $12. Right? That's, that's your job as an advocate. It'd be nice if you were reasonable about it and you were a gentleman about it. Uh, was de Blasio nice and reasonable? The, the relationship was not necessarily uh, always a cordial relationship, he said, with all due politics. Do, it, just so people understand, do you, does the governor and the mayor, do you talk directly or is it your guy talks to his woman? No, we talk directly. Okay. We talk directly. And I had Mike Bloomberg uh, and we got along very well. Uh, but you could say a healthy tension is probably the best. Advocate for New York City. I get it. You want more. You need more. Uh, but uh, it has to be a constructive relationship. Mayor Adams needs help from Albany. And Washington. Yes. <laughs> well, yes, for sure. Mayor Adams should say to Washington, I have 30,000 immigrants. I didn't ask for them. Uh, I need help. Uh, Mayor Adams is saying to Albany, uh, I need help with crime. I need help with police. I need help with mental health beds to get the homeless off the streets. Uh, Mayor Adams is saying to Albany, these 30,000 immigrants are not just my problem. They're a state problem. Why are they all in New York City? 
What happened to the rest of the state? Look at the map. It's a big place. I know New York City. Everybody looks at New York City. And then there's a lot of green. You know, where's the rest of the state? So that's his job to advocate, but keep it constructive. Keep it uh, respectful. You think the crime situation is getting under control? What's Governor Cuomo's perception of that? I mean, I the, think the, people the facts do- are in 2022, shootings and murders went down. Robberies and burglaries and assaults went up. Yes. And, you know, look, thank God there's not a lot of murders and not a lot of, of, of uh, shootings. So fewer people are affected by that. But most folks are affected by the robberies, by the assaults. And those numbers went up and they went up considerably. I think the perception, again, you can argue numbers. The perception is crime is a problem. It's not getting better. I think they're putting crime together with quality of life. They're putting it together with homeless on the streets. They're putting it together with mentally ill homeless on the streets who are threatening. I think they put all those things together. And I think the, the uh, really frightening combination is crime, taxes, quality of life, and I don't have to be here anymore post-COVID. And it's cold out there, and the taxes are high. Let me move to a warm climate. Okay, the last one, though, the taxes are high. So everyone just here in the law firm got their end-of-year bonus. And one of the younger people came in, and I said, you know, you got your bonus? And he goes, yeah, I can see he wasn't happy. I go, what's the money? He goes, the taxes. He goes, I think I must have bought a couple of missiles for Ukraine. He's like, and now this is a young kid. He's not in the high tax bracket, but he's still walking away after you do the federal, the state, the city, FICA, uh, whatever else they throw in there. And then he takes out some money for his health care. He's like, Arthur, it was less than 50%. Yeah. And I'm talking about a 29-year-old kid. Yeah. What you should say to him, look, if you think you bought a couple of missiles for Ukraine, I'm paying you too much money. (laughs) (laughs) But that is because one one of the questions someone asked me is if, you know, what would Governor Cuomo recommend to either the mayor or, or the governor? How do we keep New Yorkers in New York? Look, mayor Adams has got it right. Uh, in terms of? In terms of what he says and what he's thinking. He has to get it done. He has to get it done. Mayor Adams says, which is not necessarily easy to say. We need rich people in the city because they pay the taxes. And by the way, they pay the taxes. Oh, he says that. He yeah. even gives the statistics. Yes. It's like, I don't know, some ridiculously small percentage yes. pays like 90% of the taxes. Yes, the wrong five people leave, we have a problem. Uh, so he, he gets it. Now, he's got to get Albany to respond. It doesn't seem like that's happened. No. No. It seems like right after his election, he went up there and it seems like they, I, uh, they slammed the door in his yeah. face. Yes. Like why, Andrew Cuomo? Like why? I mean, is I think it's the Albany politics. So okay. why wouldn't they talk about crime? So let me in the election you, in November. I know you give me a hard time because I read one question to you, but I'm going to read a question to you. You have okay? 11 pieces of I paper, know. and I haven't looked at one of them. What do you think? Have this is a trial. Have I looked at one of them? Um, you know, as I, we we cited your accomplishments, okay. And as the chief executive, you gained a reputation as a power player, and some may have called you a bully. I say New York tough. But here's the question. Is governing in New York State so dysfunctional, so partisan, and so self-serving that the only way to get things done is to constantly be at war with the system and some of the people in it? Is that the only way to accomplish this? Constant is a strong word. War is a strong word. But 
there is something there is a balance of power between the governor and the legislature. Uh, and that balance has to be established. I was a strong governor. Why? Because the executive should be strong. That legislature represents the full state as a body, but they're predominantly from New York City. Uh, now they are predominantly uh, driven by the extreme left. Uh, and the governor is the balancer representing the entire state. They're driven by the extreme left. Why, Governor Cuomo? Is that because certain people just aren't coming out to vote? That is because... Is that, I mean, they're getting elected, so that means certain people are coming out to vote and certain aren't? Or are they truly representative of the people who are in New York? No. They are coming out to vote because these are difficult times. The extremes are energized. And you have the extreme right, which we saw with Mr. McCarthy and the, the 20, uh, uh, 20 rabid Republicans over there uh, and their craziness. And you have the counterpart on the left. And moderates fear the extreme left. Moderates fear the extreme left. Did you fear the extreme left when you were no bills last year? No, because you can't. Because if you are afraid, were there any of those bills that you signed that you like, like you know, whether it was the the um, bail reform bill that you like, if I don't sign this, they're going to really come after me. They were coming after me anyway, and you can't you can't live uh, afraid, and you can't govern. Is that like Cynthia Nixon fear. running after you in the primary? Is that they an were, example of they that? They were yes, but they were against me in uh, uh, whatever election uh, in the primary. Uh, period, and I get it, I understand it, but they are formidable in a primary. They intimidate the moderates. It's not that moderates are all short people. It's that they're all ducking because they don't want to stand up and be seen. They don't want to be seen. Do you see that changing a little bit? No. I see you know, it getting Anthony, worse. Anthony Weiner does a podcast. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He's got a radio show and a podcast called The Middle. And he basically echoes what, what you just said, which is, and Alan Dershowitz has been saying it since you know, Trump ran the first time. He said, America is basically a centrist nation. Yes. And through Fox News and MSNBC and, and, you know, other examples of journalism, we've become this far right and far left, which is not our natural. That is exactly. It's not who we are. It's not who we are. So how do we get back to who we are, Andrew Cuomo? You have to reach out to the middle and energize the middle. And how? How do you do that? How do you energize? I, I think you have to. I, I think you have to. I mean, just, can you say that, that to some degree, Eric Adams? Uh, you know, energize the middle. He was probably the most conservative in the uh, Democratic primary for well, mayor. This is this is the, the lunacy of the far left. Crime isn't a problem. Crime isn't a problem. Well, then why did New York City elect a former police officer? Why? Why do you elect a police officer as crime isn't a problem? You didn't elect a baker, a poet. Uh, you know, you elected a police officer because it's crime. And why are you unwilling to admit the obvious? Well, because, you know, defund the police. And once you say it's crime, then you have to talk about police. And we don't want to talk about police. But it's all their own politics. Does, it, does that come back to race? Does that come back to what you said earlier? We need to bail reform because, uh, you know, it was unfair and it was it was biased. The system was biased. So if they're saying crime is going up. You know, that in, invades their narrative. Yes, but well, but don't be extreme in your ideology. There was and is bias in the system. 
fact. Uh, but defund the police. Black and brown community. The majority of the victims are black and 100%. brown. 90 percent like of the murder. Majority. Yeah, 80 percent, 78 percent. They're the ones who are the victims of crime. You're talking about defunding the police. Yeah, that's what they used to call the limousine liberals. You have this nice theoretical issue, well, intellectual. In a doorman building. Yes, but you're on the 14th floor of a high rise and you have a doorman out front and a security guard. If you're living in a public housing project, when somebody's coming through the window in the middle of the night, you dial 911, you want someone to come, you know? So who are you actually representing? Well, before I let you go, Governor, let me just. Happened to you uh, about your uh, there's two topics I want to talk about national politics and then automobiles. All right. <laughs> okay, national politics. You know, take out your crystal ball that you keep in your in your in your coat jacket. Donald Trump is he going to be a major player or is is there fatigue? It's there's Trump fatigue, uh, sixty forty against Trump. But I would. I would not rule him out. Did your father lose the election, pardon me for jumping around, because of Cuomo fatigue against Pataki? Part Cuomo fatigue and the death penalty. Right, I remember that. The death penalty. Would you have lost the election to Zeldin? No. No, No, they took polls that said no. Because, look, the only thing Zeldin was running around saying was crime, and uh, the Democrats were saying there's no such thing as crime. You know, that's why it was that close. So you would have come out and just said, "Of course, crime, crime, crime is a problem." Crime, yes, crime, and, and it this yes, way, and I have more state police, and I have more yes. this, and I'm going to push the legislature to change. And Arthur, remember this: you want to talk about a blunder by the extreme left, which drove this campaign and these uh, this philosophy. If but for the New York disconnection and uh, terrible performance, the Democrats would control the House. We lost seats on Long Island that literally made the difference nationwide. If Democrats had just done better in New York, there is no Kevin McCarthy. It's Hakeem Jeffries is speaker. Good guy. That's the kind. Great guy. You know, great proud guy. I am Brooklyn. Chuck Schumer, Brooklyn. Yeah. Come on. I know Brooklyn, two Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn. I know Brooklyn. Queens. I, know Look, Bro- I went to Queens. I know. I went to Queens Law School. Um, so you're a car guy. Yes. I'm a car guy. Is that that's just a DNA thing, right? Like my buddy Frank Morano, who's someone I respect tremendously, he's an intellectual guy, fun guy, drinking guy. He, you know, give him a Toyota Camry with a good radio, and he's fine. Is that just something that you're born with, or you, you developed a hobby? Yes. Uh, well, I think it's a hobby. I think it was in the neighborhood, right? Uh, it was an interest, but we are both car guys, except you are a. Uh, Rich, but yeah, elite that's garbage. car guy. My favorite car I am is an my American first car, motor car. Nineteen hundred dollars, a nineteen eighty six Alpha Spy. Let me ask you a question. The graduate, the lowest model, roll down yeah. windows, Let no air conditioning. When was the last time you got on your back and you changed the oil in the car? Never. Five years ago. No, Never. no, 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 no. I did. That's easy. That car's yeah. easy. To when was the last time you tuned it up and you did a set of spark know. plugs? Oh no, no, that I did because it's easy. That it's a uh, inline four, so they're right on the top. On the Alpha. Even, in the Alpha, right on the top. When is the last time you did it? I only drive the car a thousand miles Look, a year. I can baby. tell from your hands they haven't held a well, wrench that's true. I'm a pencil in decades. That's, that's yeah, right. you have right. hands. But you got a seventy-five, <laughs> a seventy-five vet. I have. I redid uh, over the past couple of years. I redid uh, old vets, sixty-six and sixty-seven, which I wow. love. 
I have a 75 that I had since high school. Uh, all right. That's why I hold on to that car. Of course. Well, that's my first car. I got yeah. my first job in the DA's office, Joe Hines. I got my check for 300 and something dollars. I had to move back home. You know, my father old school, they paid for college. They paid for law school. I get into the DA's. I'm living in a little apartment in Queens. And my father goes, what are you going to do now? I go, what do you mean? He goes, where are you going to live? I go, I don't know. I'm going to stay in the apartment. He goes, could you afford it? I go, I don't know. It's $500 a month. Well, how much are you making? He goes, and then he said to me, he goes, well, I want $400 a month. I said, what do you want $400 a month? He goes, you're going to pay me back for college. I go, well, Dad, then I can't afford to live out. He goes, well, talk to your mother. Maybe you can live in the basement. <laughs> and I moved into the basement crying, and I took out a loan, and I bought a car, and that, that's my favorite car. As I let you go, Andrew Cuomo, here's the last question. Yes, sir. When, and this was from the, from the whole office and all my friends, when will the name Andrew Cuomo appear on a ballot again? Oh, that's a they great question. Wait. They can't wait. That is a great when question. When is it going to happen? And you know Take what? out the crystal ball. Come you on. Know, it's a great question. And you know what? I'm not going to answer it. Okay. That's Thank great. you for having Ladies me. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Governor Andrew Cuomo. Thank you so much, Governor. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.